So based on that kids' time, how many of you thought that gospel text was going to be a little, a little happier? <laughs> right? It's a, it's a really difficult gospel text this Sunday. I know plenty of pastor friends of mine who have chosen to preach on Philippians this morning instead. And in fact, on Friday when I was sitting at a coffee shop working on the last few parts of this sermon, a pastor friend of mine leaned over my shoulder and said, hey, do you know this Sunday is the festival of St. Luke, so you could probably get away without preaching this gospel this week. And I said, oh, no, no, I love this. (laughs) So today's text begins with two words, once more. It's important to remember to keep these texts as difficult as they are in context with what's happening in Matthew's gospel. Matthew starts this section by saying, once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, as if Jesus hadn't been making his point clear enough to the chief priests and Pharisees. So we're all on the same page here. We're going on week five, count them, five weeks of Jesus giving parables to the chief priests and church leaders in the temple. They seem designed to make them mad, and it's working. Chronologically, in the Gospel of Matthew, this is the week before Jesus gets arrested, sentenced to death, and killed. So if we were reading chronologically, then next Sunday we would have the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which we celebrate on Palm Sunday. So if you were a chief priest or a Pharisee, after five in a row parables, teachings that poke right at you, this guy has done enough. He just doesn't quit this Jesus guy. Once more, one more time, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of God may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. Now, the king is obviously God, the son, clearly Jesus. Yes, oftentimes the parables aren't quite so clear, and we have to dig into them a little more, but these guys, even these guys, got very clearly what Jesus was saying and who he was talking about here. The story continues. It's a royal wedding. Now, we are not third-century Jews in here, but we still do know a thing or two about royal weddings. Yes. Yes. Aren't they so cute, you guys? They're so cute. Um, Just so you know, you can still, if you missed it, um, you can still watch the whole three-and-a-half-hour ceremony on YouTube if you so choose. I did not. Um, But a royal wedding, right? It's a big deal. You remember all the news stories leading up to Will and Kate's wedding were just everywhere. The Today Show broadcast live from Kensington Palace. Do you remember this? It was kind of a big deal. Even today. And if you got an invitation to a royal wedding, you would not turn it down. Even if you don't think the king and queen are like a big deal, if Will and Kate sent you a wedding invitation, you'd go, right? You would go. Now, royal weddings have a pretty specific guest list involving family, lots of whom are also royal, other royalty or leaders from other countries, and usually the upper echelons of high society. So Jesus tells the story of a royal wedding, and the guests who are invited at first don't really treat it all that great. They made light of it. They went away. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the king's slaves and mistreated them. Now, I know none of us would do that if we got a personal invitation to a royal wedding. These people, personally invited by the king, 
to his son's wedding say no. They say, we're, we're too busy. We got things to do. I have a business to run. So the first round of invites, let's just say, does not go well, right? And the king is rightly furious. He says, they're all out. I'm starting over, all of them off the list. He sends his slaves back out and says, go into the streets and invite everyone you find and bring them to the banquet. Now, to those of us hearing this now, we hear this as such good news, right? We know that we probably weren't on that original guest list, so we know that this next round of invites probably includes us. I mean, the people who are out there kind of waiting in the streets to get a glimpse of the bride and groom as they go by in their royal procession, they got invited in. That's so cool. We're in for all of us. This is good, such good news. But to the ones hearing this message, the chief priests and Pharisees, the idea that a king would just go into the streets and invite everyone into the castle for a wedding banquet for his son is as astounding and offensive as paying a worker a full day's wage when they started an hour before quitting time. Do you remember how mad that parable made the Pharisees and chief priests? This is the same. You can't just invite anyone to this banquet what if riffraff gets in they haven't even been properly vetted how do we know they aren't dangerous the chief priests and pharisees hear this parable and they are just not okay with how it's going so the slaves go out into the streets they gather all they found in case that wasn't clear enough with the big words all they found matthew makes it even more clear both good and bad So the wedding hall was filled with guests, good and bad. So that means, yeah, some not-so-great people get in the room. And man, does that not feel fair. And yes, we hear this over and over again, but it bears repeating, grace is not fair. Sometimes grace feels really obvious. You see the people who do good and they get grace and that makes sense. But sometimes it's like everybody in your office got a bonus on Friday. Even that one guy who surfs the web all day long and just got fired for it. He got a bonus too. That guy. How many of you would be mad if that guy got a bonus and you got a bonus? Yeah, everybody put your hand up. Grace isn't fair. And wouldn't it be amazing if this is where Jesus stopped? It's where Katie stopped, because you really don't want to tell kids the second part of this message, right? In the parable of the vineyard that we heard a couple weeks ago, where everyone got paid with no matter how much work they did, it stopped there. Everyone's in. Woo, party. But Jesus does not stop there. When the king came into the banquet hall, he saw all the guests, but one was not wearing a wedding robe. And the king has this guy thrown out of the banquet, literally binds his hands and feet and throws him into the darkness where it has that great phrase with there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It just sounds dark and harsh and mean. See, that line is why there's a lot of churches choosing to preach on a different text today. Or to stop reading at the part where everybody is in. But we can't do that. 
We just can't. And it makes us uncomfortable. And actually, it should make us uncomfortable. We should hear this text and immediately wonder where we are in this story. We should hear this text and wonder, am I in or am I out, right? That's our initial response to this text. Or maybe we at least can admit that within all of us, there is that question that lingers when we hear everyone is gathered and brought into the party. But what about that guy? What about that girl over there? That one who takes advantage of everybody? that person who hurts people to get ahead, that one who wields a gun with intent to take as many lives as possible. What about that person? Is that really the kind of person you want at your wedding banquet? Don't you want to throw that guy out? Wouldn't this party be just a little safer and cleaner and better without them there? We may not want to admit it, But we've all asked this question before. We've all been here when we've heard about the good news of grace for everyone. And for once, Jesus has a response. Now before you get all excited about bad people being thrown out and the good people staying in, let's take a pause. Because the one who's thrown out of the party is not necessarily the riffraff. It might not be the bad guy or the bad girl. You see, in the third century, most guests that attended a wedding banquet were given a robe when they arrived. I don't know, maybe they wanted to make sure the bride's color scheme was fully matched around the room and everybody looked good in pictures. I don't know why, but they are all given a robe. So the fact that this guy wasn't Wearing one doesn't mean he didn't own one or he didn't have the means to buy himself one or didn't get the message. I mean, he's just brought off the street in whatever he's wearing, so how would it be fair to kick him out for what he's wearing? But that's not what happened. See, this guy is offered a robe and he refuses to wear it. It's so offensive to the king. It's disrespectful. And knowing this, doesn't the king's anger at this moment make a little bit more sense? As we often do when we hear parables from Jesus, it's important for us to take time and find ourselves in the story. Now, I think most often we we want to put ourselves in the place of the king, right? We get to choose who's in and out. It's super fun. We get to... Throw somebody out into the darkness, that sounds really cool. But quick reminder, none of us are God, okay? So we're not the king, we're not the son. Everybody got that one? Yes, good. But that leaves us then with some not-so-comfortable options here. Are we the ones who go about our daily business and ignore the invitation in front of us? Do we say, you know what, thanks, but i got better things to do. I've, I've got important work to do. This family isn't going to feed itself. Somebody's got to make the money. i got to go back to my farm. i got to go back to the office. i got to check one more email. You know, it really doesn't affect me that much, so someone else can take care of it. How many times throughout the day do we find ourselves here, ignoring 
maybe the biggest invitation of our lives. Or maybe we're the riffraff in the street. Maybe we knew the party was happening, but we definitely did not get an invitation. And suddenly, here we are, pulled into a party that we know, that we have always known and still know that we do not deserve to be at. Or maybe we're the one who refuses to wear the robe. This one might be the most uncomfortable to picture ourselves as, but stick with me for a moment. Maybe that we're the one who thinks, you know what? I'm fine. I'm fine on my own. I don't need this God robe thing. I worked hard for this robe I'm wearing, and I want to show it off. My robe's better. Or maybe we refuse the robe for a different reason. Maybe we were waiting in line to get in the door to the banquet hall, waiting to get our robe, and we looked around and saw all the riffraff and said, you know what, I can't believe that guy is getting in here too. I can't believe that girl is getting a robe. And we thought, you know what, no, no, I don't want to look the same as that guy. I don't want to be associated with people like her. I'm not going to wear this robe. See, I think if we're honest... The reason this parable makes us so uncomfortable is because we can see ourselves in all of these. Each time we refuse an invitation to serve or give or do a little more, each time we think to ourselves, I'm just not worthy. God couldn't love me. I wouldn't be welcome. Each time we place ourselves above God or somebody else and think, you know what, that person doesn't belong here, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. We are all of these. Sometimes all the time, all together. And if this is where Matthew's gospel ended, it would be really scary for all of us sitting here, right? Weeping and gnashing of teeth, the end. Would not be a great ending to Matthew's gospel, but this is not where it ends. Remember, this is the week before Jesus goes to the cross. This is the week before Jesus shows us just how far God is willing to go to bring us into the party. You see, we've all been invited. We've all been gathered in from wherever we are, no matter if we are good or bad. Let's be honest, most of us fall in that second category. We've all been brought in to the banquet. The invitation is wide and expansive and inclusive. And we're handed a robe. We have been clothed in Christ. That is our banquet robe. See, this guy gets thrown out because he refuses to accept the dress code. This parable is only not good news if you refuse the gift. If you look around and place yourself above others, if you refuse the invitation in the first place, it's only not good news then. But it is also a reminder of the kind of God we believe in and follow. See, this king, when those people refused the invitation that first time, he didn't shut the doors and say, you know what, I'm out, I'm done. I I give up on these people, they're jerks, I don't want anything to do with them, I'm going to close the doors, I'm going to have this feast all by myself, and it's going to be awesome. No, he 
runs out into the streets and keeps gathering people in over and over and over again until the hall is full, who hands everyone a robe of salvation and a place at the table. This is the kind of God we believe in. This is the kind of God we get to join in the world. See, what we forget in this story, when we hear this guy getting thrown out into the streets, we get so nervous about where we are in this story that we forget for the people who put on that robe and sat down at the table, they got to be in the best party they had ever been in. Get to put on the robe. Each and every time we are invited to the table, we have a chance to sit down and remind ourselves that we are clothed in Christ. We have been invited again and again and again, good and bad, worthy or unworthy. We are invited to the table. Again today, we are invited to the table to the feast, to this table, which we are reminded of as a small, small equation symbol of the big feast to come. We hold out our hands and we hear the words, for you. And the person next to you who you've sort of been looking at, like, I don't know if they should be here, they also get to hear the words, for you. This is the God that we follow. you do in the dry river bed.